Hello, my name is Charles Johnson, and this is the Alabama Entrepreneur Podcast. Alabama entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the small business experience. Brett Ball, Chris Niblett, Abby Alter, owners of Bisley. Bisley, find and support small, local, and family-owned businesses in our area. Download the app today. Can one of you tell us about a specific, extraordinary customer service experience that you have received from a local small business? I used to work years ago for a chiropractic office in Knoxville. I was the office manager there. And in Knoxville, there are a lot of kind of neighborhood bars. So you can literally walk from your house and go to this bar. And that's what everybody else does when they get off work. They all go to the same bar most nights during the week and have a few beers together. So my husband and I found this bar and it's called Hops and Hollers in Knoxville, um, really close to our house. So we just started going there. We didn't know anybody there, but very soon we became embraced by the bartenders, the community. They just kept talking to us and engaging us and trying to get to know us and not just for some superficial reason, but just hit it off. So we just started going all the time and I'm a very forgetful person. So I used to lock myself out of my house all the time. <laughs> and whenever I did that, I would go to Hops and Hollers and just hang out with them. Um, and just get to know them. And that really was that side of service that I hadn't experienced before, that personal connection where you just kind of bond with the people working there and just really get to know them on a deep level. So that actually led to me working there at Hops and Hollers for a few years. So I transitioned into the service industry and they just took me in without any knowledge, any prior experience, being a bartender, they plucked me up and set me in that community and then I got to have those same conversations with customers when they came in, uh, get to know them. And... I think that that is a small business. Yes. You know, that is a locally owned small business yes. and that's the experience that you get uh, when you're dealing with someone that's local, you know. So I think that's a great story. Thank you. Do you all have one? I do. A few months ago, I went out with my wife for her birthday, so we went down the Big O's downtown, the Korean restaurant. Kind of went all out, and, and it was great. And Jan Arnold, she's amazing. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we went to pay the bill after balling on a budget there. Uh, we um, the, the internet went down, so we couldn't pay our bill. And I didn't have any cash, and the whole block was out, so there was no ATM to be found. Yon was kind enough to actually say it was on her and she paid it out of pocket our tab for that evening. I'll never forget that. It's kind of put your money where your mouth is and I go support her every time, you know, to this day. Um, she's amazing. Check her out. That's phenomenal, right? Yeah, so I have to give a big shout out to Best Mini Storage, actually, over off of Governor's West in Huntsville next to, there's a Bobcat dealer over there. That's Jim and Diane Hollingshead who own that place and it's a family operation. I think her dad started it and they rented me my first office. They had a, they have a little, like you walk into the mini store, you're in the complex and you're in, and you're driving through 
and at the end there's just a little office in the middle of, in the middle of the mini storage and so they they rented me the office and um, I used that for a year and then but Mr. Hollingshead used to work in banking and so I've just had I've had so many I guess lessons or like just so many conversations just good life advice uh, definitely a lot more than what you would expect from just the scope of like renting an office so I have to give them a lot of credit and that's that's again that's another just wonderful thing and someone that takes the time to stop and talk and listen and give you advice yep yeah it's kind of sweet okay all right so what steps did you have to take to make this a legal business do you remember all kind of getting together and trying to decide on what you had to do to make it legal uh, yes, yeah, so we, I had an existing Alabama LLC that I had used for some just general consulting. The type of business that we're building this company to be is something that's going to operate at scale. And so when you want to build a business that's going to go large scale, preferably East Coast to West Coast in every town, you pretty much have to raise funding for that. And when you raise funding from investors, all, all, all of these asset allocators, they require you to have a Delaware C corporation. And so if you talk to someone who is not very familiar with that world, they'll say, you know, just get an LLC or, or, or just do that. And so we've been very intentional since day one that we had to do it right and we had to get a C corporation. And thankfully there are there's no shortage of resources if you're doing one of these companies to use something like a Stripe Atlas, which is what, what we did to actually form the corporation. They sort of abstract the process and make it very, very easy. The Stripe Atlas. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't understand. Can okay. you explain that a little oh, bit yeah. more? So, um, okay, so Stripe is a company, S-T-R-I-P-E.com. Uh, Stripe was started by these two brothers. It's basically, if you're familiar with like Square, or yes. PayPal for the the payment processing. Stripe is a payment processor for software. So they have an API where in code you can move money around and take money from customers through software. And so it's a huge business. They will probably go public in the next year or so. They have a, a great track record in, in the tech community. And one of the things that they did to give back to the startup community is they created a service called Stripe Atlas. Because so forming a Delaware C corporation or filling out any legal paperwork, if you're not a lawyer, it can be very confusing. So what Stripe Atlas does is they give you a nice clean interface. They ask you really simple questions and you go through and you fill out the form and then they use their lawyers and their attorneys and their connections with the state of Delaware to actually form the corporation. Okay. Very interesting. Now, have you already gotten your business license? No, so we are started with, first we have to incorporate. Bizly Inc. has to actually exist. And I got an, I got an email today that um, that should be finished by tomorrow. Hopefully they can sneak that in before the Thanksgiving holiday. And then we have to get our federal tax ident identification number and then we'll get the business license. So. We have a whole checklist of business checking accounts and insurance and just all these kind of things that are 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 happening real time. So, and the tax ID number, when you go online to do that, I guess it's going to ask you how you're incorporated. Mm -hmm. And I guess 
that's going to be one of the things that's listed on there. Yeah, so Stripe Atlas actually makes it easy and that they're actually going to get the tax ID number for us. So that's just one less thing to have to worry about. Okay, that's yeah. great. Yeah, I can't stress it enough. It's a great service. Can I ask how much that costs to go through? Yeah, sure. So for anyone going to Stripe Atlas, it's $500. But we, I had a discount code, if you will, through something called the, the Y Combinator Startup School. And Startup School had a coupon, so it was half price. So it was 250 bucks. So when I called our attorney, told him what I was doing and what he thought about it. And he said, well, I really can't compete at forming a C corporation for $250, but I'm happy to look at everything once the paperwork gets here. So we're gonna have them look at everything. It's, it's pretty complicated with all the investors, all the paperwork, multiple different vehicles for, for taking money. So we, we still have a, a human in the loop to, you know, to help guide us. Uh, yeah, which is wonderful. So how did you all get together? Like, how did you all find each other? I know that you talked about it was, you know, it's the right timing. It's the right people. It's always hard to kind of find and be able to gel together yeah. to create something where you may have an opinion and are they going to like that opinion? Sometimes it's hard to so, do that. So there's three of you. Yeah. So I can tell my part and then I'd love to hear both of their takes. I had previously built, like if you've ever gone to like, uh, to autotrader.com or like carmax.com or something, I had built a project that was basically a car shopping search engine. And I wrote a web crawler that goes out and looks at cars on different dealers' websites and builds a better interface. And it was a really fun technical project, but it it never really caught on or had traction in terms of this is a viable business. And so I shut that down and that kind of hurt because I poured just hundreds of hours into that and learning all that stuff. We went to the beach and I you know, was kind of sad about that, but started looking for somewhere to eat local. You know, we're at, we're at Orange Beach. I don't want to eat at a chain. I want to, eat, I, want to, I, want to, I want to eat somewhere locally. And so this kind of got the wheels turning about like, okay, well, there's Yelp, so let's go check out Yelp, and Yelp's not great, and I've since learned that most small businesses don't have a very good opinion of Yelp. Sorry if you're listening to this and you're a Yelp shareholder, and that's saying it politely. And so I met Brett first in that when I got back, I, was, I had learned enough to know don't start with the technology, don't start with the code, because with the car shopping site, I wrote all this code, and I never talked to customers, and I never once validated the concept. So this time I started with talking to customers first. And so I actually talked to Keenan over at Northside Coffee at Beezer on the square. And I kind of approached Keenan like, hey, we're building Yelp for small businesses. You know, we see that Yelp's pretty terrible. We think that we could do it better. And Keenan was, was, was really interested. We, we kind of talked about how that would work and what that looks like. And then the next day, Keenan came back and he said, hey, I have a friend of mine that you need to talk to. And he gave me Brett's information. So Brett and I met at Poor House uh, over at Stove House. And I was kind of telling him about it. And, you know, Brett just starts listing out, well, I know such and such that owns this restaurant or the chef over here used to work over there. And we really made like a short list of all the ideal businesses that we would like to have on the platform. And, but I'm curious to hear like Brett's side of the story from. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So going back to Keenan, the Northside Coffee over there at Beezer on the Northside Square across from the courthouse. I had met him a few months prior. I had, um, with the food blog Rocket Fuel, I had did an event for an investor that I had met who lived in Seattle. And he was a big coffee fan, but he had business in Huntsville that he wanted to promote. So I said, sure, I'll help you do a coffee. And the idea was that he would donate $150 or $100, I can't remember, but um, whoever walked in that day that we had the event had coffee on us that day and it pretty much lasted the whole afternoon so there wasn't anyone I don't think that didn't get free coffee that day so I met Keenan and then um, we stayed in touch ever since and I just went in there one day to buy a bag of, he, he makes his own roasted coffee which I can highly recommend it's mm -hmm. it's extremely good so I went in there to grab a bag and he said hey there's a there's a guy that I need you to meet and I was like okay why He's working on something cool. I can't tell you what it is, but you like him and you guys would get along. You should talk to him. <laughs> so, he was right. Okay, yeah. cool. So uh, gave him my number to give to Chris. And uh, I think we texted that evening and that same weekend we had that meeting for uh, Poor House, that stove house yeah. set up, which I thought would maybe be an hour tops conversation. We would oh, talk gosh. and like, I think five hours later, yeah, we came I mean, out was, of there with- It was an all day, like yeah. we were sitting there you know, just drinking beer and watching, or not even watching football, yeah. but just, yeah, just kind of talking. Um, sure, and then it got into who do we know, who do we who do we want to be on the platform, and that was the angle that I came from, being in that food world. I wanted the trendsetters to be the first people on this platform, and um, they drive innovation in the town, and it's clear to me that certain businesses, if they do something, the rest follow. And that was so, that insight was so key, like, that was so obvious, like, Brett, like, I feel like I'm a dual threat founder, if you will, in that I'm a software developer, but I also have sales experience. And then here's Brett, who's a software developer, but also knows all of these local business owners and is passionate about it and is in the influencer space and really understands how that works. And I was like, this is a no brainer. So we kept working a little bit. And then I met Abby because I did a sales call. I called Beezer. So I was, you know, I had got Northside Coffee, which is in Beezer. I thought, well, let me get the whole thing. So I was going through the process to talk to Beezer, and I got put on the phone with Abby, who is the director of communications there. And the conversation kind of went like I was pitching Abby on what we want to build and why they should be involved. And at that time, we were still calling it Yelp for Small Businesses. But then Abby started talking about things like, oh, I've designed this app or interviewing users and all these things that are like in the software world are like really important and really critical that developers don't always think about. It's more of like the human factors. And so Abby's saying these things and I'm like, I just asked her, I just stopped. I was like, Abby, these things you're telling me, why are you working at a restaurant? Like... Like, no offense, I worked in restaurants when I was longer or when I was younger, but just the skill set you have. And then she just, you started telling me about your whole experience. And what, what was that conversation like for you? Yeah, yeah. So for my involvement with Bisley, got a shout out to Keenan Tipton at Northside Coffee as well, because he's kind of the underlying guy who connected all of us. Interesting. Um, he gave me the contact info for Chris and he was like, there's this new business. I think Beezer should partner with them. And so I'm the director of communications over at Beezer, which we like to describe it as a social exchange or a small business collective, basically a gastropub with two restaurants, a brewery and a coffee shop. 
Northside Coffee. So I know Keenan from working there. He gave me Chris's info. So Chris and I got connected. We started talking and, you know, it was a no brainer with the way he described the business. Of course, I'm going to sign up for this. There's no cost, you know, like I get these kinds of emails and phone calls a lot at Beezer with different companies wanting to come and help us and do things for us. And there's always a catch, you know, it's always like, oh, let's sign up for X amount of dollars or whatever. But with this, it was different. It was just be part of this. We just, we really want to elevate small businesses. So in that phone call, I kept waiting for that catch. Like, what, what is it? What do we have to put down? You know, what's, what's the agreement here? But I realized very, very quickly that it's such a good idea and it's something necessary. And every time I've ever traveled, I have always wanted to find those small local businesses. So of course, this platform instead of going to Yelp or Google or Reddit that has a post that's two or three years old that you don't know if you can really rely on that anymore. So the idea sounded great and then Chris and I started talking about user experience. So that's what I study. I am finishing up a program at UAH right now in UX. Um, so I'll be done really soon. For anybody who doesn't know, UX is user experience. So kind of going between the customer, using a product, whether the product is a, a service, physical item, um, whatever it is, and then the owners of that product and informing the owners of the user research to make the product better for the user. So everybody's happy. You don't have a product that nobody wants to use. You get that user input right off the bat. So that's kind of where our conversation went. Yeah, that, that phone conversation stands out because it, it started with me pitching you and then it ended with you pitching me. <laughs> and then we all met at Old Black Bear in Madison and yeah. got brunch and we figured out that we could work together and kind of share like a common vision. So yeah, that's how we got started. Yeah, and it was like all of us had our own different expertise that is this perfect like three pieces to a puzzle that just fit seamlessly it's really weird how that yeah, yeah just it, it's yeah it's very strange i've been thinking about the word way. synergy a lot <laughs> and i think that we have synergy every time we come together to talk about busley we just work up each other and it's so much better than any one of us could do alone it's nuts i feel your synergy thank you really <laughs> i mean i you feel all like fit well with each other yeah i feel like we're alike in the ways that are important, but I also feel like we're different in the ways that are important. Like we each, we all have different strengths and different skills. I kind of think about like three layers of Swiss cheese and when you layer them all together, there's no holes because they all cover each other. That's a really cheesy, cheesy. example, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh, Chris, are you an extrovert? Um, I think that I'm an introvert who's been pretending to be an extrovert for so long, I'm kind of stuck, so. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I had a sales job and really loved it and really enjoyed it. And I've worked in a concrete bunker writing code and did not super enjoy that. So, and are you an extrovert, Abby? Actually, no. Like in my normal state at home, I'm super introverted. But I've been working in sales, customer service jobs since I was 16. So, was that 11 years, 12 years? You're a forced extrovert. Yeah. So I've had to 
flip on that switch for pretty much every job I've ever had. So I've just kind of learned how to be extroverted around people. And I mean, I love to study people too. So that's kind of a driving force for the extroversion. <laughs> Brent, are you an extrovert? I am not. I'm an introvert. I would <laughs> consider myself or an introverted extrovert. I have no problem talking to people. Um, I, I'm just I have a genuine curiosity, so I love learning, and I think that's where I love to engage with people and learn kind of where they came from, uh, what lessons I could learn, and I've seen that more than ever uh, with the food blog, which now is pouring directly into Bizly. So those those deep connections. I've made because they're, they've been personal and I've gained respect from people from the industry. I've, full disclosure, I've never worked in the food industry a day in my life, but I love food, I love writing about it, and I love telling the story. And you know what you like. And I know what I like. Yeah. This may be too personal, and if it is, I don't have to include it in here. Did each of you put money into this business? No, um, all the money that has been put in, or the effort has been just me so far. But that's really just a function of my approach has just been if it has to be done or it has to be paid for, we'll do it. And it, it hasn't been anything super large. Yes, I'm the one who had like a previous business idea and I was able to recycle like or repurpose a lot of the code that I wrote for this. And I'm the one that's been driving it. But I told these guys, the way that I look at it is like, Sure, it's been four months, I guess, of us each kind of working on it when we can, and I've maybe been the primary driver. But the way I look at it is like most of the journey is in front of us. Like this mm -hmm. could be a four-year commitment or a 10-year commitment. I mean, it, you know, so when you look at it through the lens of this is like a 10-year journey, those four months really seem in inconsequential. So that's kind of my approach because I'm like, and that's why we have split the business evenly. Um, I feel like they've even tried to make a little bit of a case that I should have, you know, a larger share in it. And again, that's what I go back to is like all the journey is in front of us, not behind us. So, so it's a true 33 and a third. Yeah, I think on in the incorporation paperwork, it might be 34, 33, 33. Okay, just because, because they have to. Because you can't do decimals, it. right. But So you have a business bank account. In progress, yes. Okay. I, I had a call with our new banker earlier today, so yes. Okay. Yeah. And because you're going to try to write these expenses off. Yep, correct. And they can go into a new year, technically. Yep. You know, as, I guess as long as you have those receipts, oh, uh, yeah. you can, no, I, can it, continue on if it's not completed in my, by the end of this year. In my previous business, I learned the importance of record keeping. So that's why I have a very close friend of mine is an accountant, he's a CPA in Birmingham, and he is advising us, if you will. So that's that's kind of his job is to help keep us straight and make sure that all the records are there and everything's organized. We're gonna use accounting software. It's accrual based, not cash accounting. We're not gonna have a stack of receipts that you just kind of dig through to find. It's all gonna be very tightly controlled. When do you see this app launching to the public? Uh, maybe as early as December 1st hopefully in some capacity we will be able to take your money and have that money flow through the system so all right december 1st 2021 correct and the code is written some of it correct yep well i just say that because the code is never finished the code is never finished a right. lot of people have a um i had someone tell me one time who was not in the software world but 
kind of wish that they were. They were like, yeah, you just write the software and then it's finished and you go make a bunch of money. But the reality is it's, it's a living thing that is never finished because if you slow down, someone else will come to market and they'll beat you. So Right, and that's just like we get computer updates that seem like every day exactly. for right. Salon. Yep, you know that, that's exactly right. And you think, how could there be another update? <laughs> but there always is. Always bugs to fix, always things to add. What will your revenue streams be? And when will those start to come in? Yeah, so we have a marketplace model. Uh, we have a supply side and a demand side. So on the supply side, we have small businesses. So for instance, Hops and Glock uh, at, at Campus 805 is coming on as one of our, our early partners. And with Hops and Glock, they do a Taco Tuesday. Super great. We always go there. I like to go on Tuesdays and get the $2 tacos. Um, but if you subscribe to one of Hops and Glock's tiers through Bizly on the Bizly app, $9.99 a month. Now you get Taco Tuesday every day of the week. And so the way we make money is for every dollar that flows through the system, we keep 10%. And that take rate is, that's where we live. And so on a per restaurant basis or on a per membership basis, that's not a lot of money. And it may have to go up at some point in the future, but right now that's where we're gonna stay. Our goal is not to make a ton of money on any one business, but to build something that is highly scalable so as you move it into other markets, it becomes a big business. So Okay, so that is one revenue stream. Correct. Is that how most of that is going to be set up? I would say for right now, that's what we're focused on. We're, we've, we've kind of gone through this process of throwing ideas out there and, and getting feedback. What if we did this? Well, what if we did that? And through the process of talking to local business owners, the way you look at it, it's a two-sided problem. If you look at something like Yelp, for instance, Yelp is more focused. It seems to me that, that they're more focused on the discovery aspect. That's you know bringing someone who's never been to your business before. And so Yelp kind of already kind of does that already. Groupon sort of does that already. Google, Facebook. What what's interesting to me is on the other side of that equation is the LTV of a customer. So over the life of that relationship there's more business, there's a larger opportunity to make money and to get them coming back in more often. So that is a more compelling use case for me than being on the discovery aspect. How will this be set up? Will, will you reach out to businesses or I guess businesses will reach out to you because I saw where businesses could sign up. Correct. You also will be reaching out and let people know that they can sign up. Absolutely. Can anybody sign up or is there a fee to sign up? How does that work? Uh, yes, so right now it's it's very much an old school sales process. I'll hand it off to Brett because Brett has been sure. exceptional at that, but there is no implementation fee. We only make money if the business makes money. Right. So there's no cost to sign up, but um, so far we've been leveraging my connections in town where I go to the people and the businesses that I know and we see try to gauge your interest. Usually that first meeting is to present our idea, present our case, and see if it could work for their business model. And what we found is the enthusiasm has been overwhelming. And the great thing about Bizly is because we have that face-to-face -face meeting, we can tailor it to any business need really out there. Um, some, like Chris mentioned, might go the discount way, or others may want exclusive events. Either way, we can sell anything through Bizly. 
Um, so that flexibility gives us a great degree in which we can approach a business and have them sign on. Um, the other great thing is the discoverability piece. Over time, we hope that we have almost, I don't know how many, almost every business we could get in Huntsville on there. So not only when you go on the app, do you see the business that you know, but maybe you see ones that you don't go to that side of town that often. That's one thing I've found is people in Madison don't like coming to South Huntsville or vice versa. Cause Just we get a long drive. <laughs> I know, like, it's a long, that, long drive. That long 20 minute drive. I know, right? Um, so me coming from Tampa where I had to drive an hour just to make it 20 miles, you know, um, it's, it's laughable to me, but so no, um, we're, we're doing our best though to make it approachable and just easy for any, and that's the other thing about busy. We're not here to put more work on the business itself. Oh, yeah. We, we yeah. want to take that from you and help you create another revenue stream without even thinking about it. And, um, and if you find out what you come up with in that first three months or first month doesn't work, you'd like to change it. We're happy to do that. Just give us a call and we'll work with you again. Yeah. Yep. Just a Brent has been exceptional in that he claims to be an introvert yet he has all of these connections and 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 has just done a great job really the process has been Brett has all these connections he finds somebody that's interested and we either go in together or I'll go in and that's the fun part so if it's a restaurant that's brand new to this you have to fight two battles the first is we have to convince you to adopt a whole new top level revenue thing that you've never thought about, which is a membership model. And then once we get you through that hurdle, we have to convince you that we're the partner that you should choose. And so what's fun about this and what's also challenging about this, especially now in these early days, is going to every restaurant and figuring out what works for that restaurant. So like Brett was saying, like we don't want to put extra work on them, but in one restaurant, discounts may be the key. It may be as simple as you normally get this discount on Tuesday and you get this discount on Thursday and you get this one at certain times. So now the membership tiers become very easy and like, let's just stack those and make those discounts more accessible on a monthly recurring basis. We've talked to other places who don't discount food ever at all. So that one, those, those cases are a little more challenging and so those might look like access to events or access, you know, certain things that you wouldn't otherwise get. And that's been the fun part is just going and like talking with the business owners, learning about their customer. Our goal is not to be the hero of the story is what I say. If you play video games, it's like the end shopper, the end customer is the hero. And the business owner is really like the NPC. They're just like a character in the game. And Visley just wants to be like the platform. Like we don't want to be in the way telling you what to do. When you talk about a membership, like for instance, they'll get the discounted tacos. Correct. Just not on Tuesday, but every day. Do you have to decide on how much that membership is going to cost them? Yep. And then you all get a percentage off of that membership fee. Correct. Yep. Okay. And and you're going to take 10% from that. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. And how do they know that they are a member? So that is part of the fun stuff. In our app design, in our interface, there, there will be a way where you can basically open the app as a shopper and you see all of your memberships in one nice, easy interface. Because really the goal here is that we want people having more than one membership. 
And so for each membership, you open that up and here's a QR code, here's your name, here's when you join, here's all the information that the restaurant needs. And that's also part of it is working with each restaurant. Okay, this, this restaurant uses Toast or this one uses Square. So let's think about what are the integrations because we don't want to create more work. And we also realize not everybody has a smartphone, so there will also be an option for physical membership cards. That's very interesting. So that way the customer gets to win and really the restaurant gets to win and then you all win. So it's Excellent. a win-win, you know, As Michael trifecta. Scott said, a win-win-win. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so basically at the end, you're still saving the consumer money that they don't have to pay for anything unless they're signing up for right. to do a membership on whatever it is that they want to do, you know, yeah. whatever they want to do. Okay. Bisley, it sounds like that name has been around forever. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's like I've heard of that, but mm -hmm. you haven't. I probably bought the domain in, I'm going to guess 2011, and it was $9.99 off of GoDaddy.com. You know, not, amazingly not registered. Um, I was even able to get B-I-Z-Z dot L-Y, which, so that's a three-letter domain, which is highly desirable. Dot L-Y is a, I think that's the country of Libya, maybe, but everybody uses it for companies that end in, in dot L-Y. So we have both web domains, and I've been sitting on it for a while because it, I had another idea for like a, a time tracking app, a timekeeping app. Uh, I have a, I did a lot of bookkeeping stuff and that was a whole headache. And so that was the original concept with something that, that's like bookkeeping. And I just thought Bisley was such a great name. And I've, I've kept the domain all these years because I knew that eventually I would be able to build something there. So This app isn't going to be just for restaurants. Yes. Yeah. Well, so the reason that I say that is it's so early. We, So I did calls, I think, even before you guys were on. I did calls with local plumbing companies, local HVAC companies, and that was more from the perspective of they spend so much money on digital marketing every month. It's not uncommon for your local plumber to pour $7,000 directly into Google AdWords every month. And they're generally happy to do it because they have systems where they track the ROI so they know that every dollar they put in, they're getting enough back and it makes sense. So I, I talked to some of these service companies to figure out, okay, what are you seeing? What are you not seeing? What what could be better? What do you absolutely hate? So I guess theoretically, if you loved your local plumber enough, we could create a Bisley membership for your plumber and that would be possible. But just through talking to Brett and Abby, it, it sort of naturally gravitated towards restaurants, bars, coffee shops, breweries, things like that. So any business where you're selling an experience and there are opportunities for cross sales and upsells is a really good fit. Will you be putting all businesses, all locally owned small businesses on this platform? Hopefully. <laughs> and you know, wants to participate. Absolutely. And we'll have that conversation just yeah. to see if it's something that could work. Um, mm -hmm. But that's, that is the main vein of Bisley is only to have locally owned small businesses that we personally vet. Yeah, no corporations. Yeah, that's that's something that we that that I was talking about early on, and we still don't know what that what that looks like in in terms of like strict policy right now. It's more based on a feel. I think directionally, our whole thing is like we need less cheesecake factory and more hops and guac, and so it's just figuring out where in the middle is is the line. So. 
right? Popeye's Chicken or McDonald's here, they are locally owned Correct. and operated, Absolutely. but it is a national chain. Absolutely. So do you include those people? Um, so while they are franchises that are locally owned, the way we look at it is if you own a McDonald's or you own a Chick-fil-A, you have the benefit of the national corporation doing marketing, doing the technology. It, it gives you, like, that's why you buy into it. It gives you brand recognition and solves a lot of problems that you don't have to figure out. You just get to focus on making good food. We're more interested in, you know, there's a subway in a strip mall that is locally owned, but we're more interested in the family-owned, independently created concept two doors down where someone really took the risk to think through what could they do on their own, and they built it from scratch. You're really thinking about what is in Huntsville not what is in Huntsville, Atlanta, Dallas, Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So our little motto is kind of, you might have heard in town, let's keep Huntsville weird. And that's the exact premise we go on. Let's keep it unique. And the things that make Huntsville unique, we need a way to keep that here and not to change the come. And once that happens in these locally owned places, they can't afford to pay the rent when that happens. So really right now, you are going door to door, reaching out to people, yep, trying to explain this concept. Yep with the hopes that they will be able to do this one day and one day soon. And you're still going to sign them up, but it may take them time to come up with something that could interest their clients, their customers. How many people do you talk to a day uh, or a week? So I would say on a good week, it's been maybe three to four, but we would like to get that number up. And the sales cycle looks like when I talked to Irving at Hobson Block, He's the decision maker. He's there right then. And it was Abby and I, and it was, that was, so that one was a very short cycle in that it was from conversation to these are the membership tiers. This is what they cost. This is what they're called. These are the perks. Probably in the course of like an hour. Yeah. It was very straightforward. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end of that spectrum, you go talk to some restaurants or, or, or some places who know that they want to be involved but they don't quite know what it looks like or they have different concerns. So the sell cycle gets stretched out to a couple of, of, of weeks. So that's the challenge is just on a per business basis, figuring out what works for that business and those customers. And that can look like a one hour conversation or many conversations over the course of a month. Sure. And it makes it challenging. Yeah, each restaurant or business we've talked to, something new comes out of that. So our hope is once we have you know, 40 on board. Now we have 17, 20 different templates that we can yeah. kind of form to your business. And, and a lot of that is going to take time, but we just want people to know, you know, it doesn't hurt to have a conversation, go to busily.com, sign up yeah. for the emails and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll make that determination there. And if you don't know right away, that's okay. We'll figure it out with you. Yeah. Yeah. We really want to know and elevate what makes businesses unique. You know, we don't want to put them all into the same kind of formula for, whatever works for them tier wise we want to see what what drives them and encourage that kind of creativity i would also say that i've seen people you're not supposed to go read the youtube comments but i went and read the youtube comments <laughs> on a couple of things and i've had people kind of point out hey this sounds off like a lot or awfully like groupon and so what I like to say is like the Groupon problem, as we call it, is that as a business owner, Groupon comes in and they say, we want you to create a special. And so they get in the middle of this transaction and they're going to take a big 
fat, healthy cut of that deal. So what happens is you end up discounting your service or your good, you know, like with a really, really steep discount. And you're putting that out into the world for people who are value shopping, right? Who are just looking for a deal. They don't necessarily care about your business. They don't care about your journey. They don't care about any of that. They're just looking for a deal. So what happens is you get people coming into the business who were not your ideal customer. And I've heard bad cases that they disrupt the service and you know it's just a bad experience for, for everyone involved. They can disrupt if, you know, if it's like when you paint and you drink wine and just, and that, and now those, those customers, they're upset. So really busily is instead of going down market on the Groupon problem, we want to go up market and help you help you like actually reward your best customers and bring those customers in and like let's think of things that only they get because they love you so much they're literally willing to put their credit card on a recurring draft they're not value shopping for a steep discount designing the app you design the app or did all of you come up with how the app was going to look i think i've designed it so far but i know that Abby has experience also doing app design and Brett also. Depends on how much time you have. I could talk a lot about software design and, yeah. and app design. I mean, well, and, and of course, you know, I don't know anything about design other than just the look of it when right. it's done. No coding here. But how is it going to be laid out? Are you going to have, you know, Mexican restaurants here, Italian here? You're going to have other businesses in there. How easy will the interface be for people to be able to find what they're looking for? What we're calling version zero, which is what launches on December 1st, it's really more focused around each business's landing page. So I'm not even sure that version zero even incorporates any of the discoverability aspect. It looks like you go to the Hops and Glock website or you go to the Brewers Co-op website and there's a section there about memberships and that links into our platform. So they have their own landing page that has their memberships. And we have the capability to make the branding, make the pictures, make everything about it sort of fit where the user came from. So it kind of looks the same. That's what we're going with now. That's version zero. In the future, we will have more problems around designing and should we do this, should, you know, mm -hmm. should we build that? There's a whole philosophy about software design that could probably yeah. merit a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> do you also want people going to a website or do you really want them just to stay focused on the app on their phone? I mean, either one, honestly. They both kind of do the same thing. Yeah, so, so we were building the app. We had the app under development and just the nature of things, app development, I would say, is inherently a little slower than just software or versus web, like building for the web. And so we started working with a big local customer that's gonna partner with us. And they were like, hey, we're ready to go yesterday. Like we're ready whenever you're ready. And so that sort of made us stop and reevaluate. And what we came away with is my, my personal philosophy is that the software is not your business, right? Your business is your business and the software aids your business, whatever that looks like. And so for us right now, what that looks like is a very simple website where you can do what you need to do, get in, get your membership, manage it, pause it, get more memberships and get out. 
and go into the real world and go to that restaurant. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the way that we look at it is like we don't want the software to get in the way. Sometimes you sign up for a membership and you can never get out of it. You can never figure out how to <laughs> yeah. get out of it. Yeah. You're yeah. thinking, how, how the hell do I get out of this? Yeah. No, that's... And in addition to um, kind of making things easier for the businesses, the companies that we sign on, we want to make it easy for the, the users too. We want to make something that they want to go and use, not something that they get a bunch of notification reminders or whatever. We want them to think, oh, I don't know where to eat tonight. Let me pull up the Bisley app or let me go to Bisley and see what kind of small businesses are on there, small business restaurants that I can go visit. You know, we want things to be easy for everybody involved, really help everybody so people, do what they're trying to do. <laughs> so people will be able to end it easy, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah so I remember... <laughs> <laughs> the second part of uh, what I was going to say, and I forgot that you may, you may remember it. When I say that your technology is not your business, your technology should aid your business. What I mean is I recently signed up for AAA because we bought an old 1976 RV. And so we got to have towing insurance. And when I signed up for AAA, which is a membership business, that's what they do. The way that I signed up is I called the local office and I gave them my credit card and all my information over the phone. So theoretically, Bisley doesn't even need a website. We could do that like manually, that same process. But we have the advantage in that we have two software developers and a user experience person that we can build the technology that helps that go easier and goes faster so that a customer can self-serve. But I love, I love pointing that out that if AAA can do it, with almost no code and they do have forms and things but ultimately you end up talking to a real person at some point in the process so can we how do you get an app on android or apple how complicated is that yeah so that's kind of the, the conundrum that we face as yeah. software developers because if you strictly go what we call native so if you build directly for ios or directly for android and you have a web application to do everything we just talked about that's three different sets of code that you have to maintain Obviously, for a software development team of two people, um, that's impossible <laughs> to yeah. do um, in a, yeah. a timely manner, we should say. Um, so there are frameworks one, you know, that, that could help us develop one central code base and then push that to all three platforms. Yeah. And that's the direction we've kind of been thinking about. Yeah, so the web app is built in Angular, which is a Google-maintained framework. Um, I have a lot of experience in Angular. Brett does, too. Mm -hmm. But then for the mobile side, what, what Brett was saying, I look at everything as how can we reduce risk? Like what can we do to make this as, as safe as possible or validate so we can justify the resources going in, into this particular thing? And maintaining you know, many different code bases doesn't sound like a lot of fun and it sounds pretty risky. So if you look at something like Flutter, Flutter is a programming framework where you write one code base and put it in both places. Um, so that's just that's one of the things that, that that we're looking at is the app will be a Flutter application until we get to a place where maybe we need features that aren't available via the Flutter API or we have enough resources or we feel like, hey, we, we really want the fit and finish and polish of a native application. When you go in and you are updating the app, does iOS or Android have to take a look at those new updates in order to accept it? Yes, there is. So Apple has, we gotta be careful here. So Apple has what you would call like a walled garden. Maybe a better way to think about that is they 
like to curate the experience of their users. So much so that there is actually a design document that Apple publishes for their software developer, for app developers. Not even you working for Apple, for folks like us who are building an app, there is a design doc that we have to go reference to make sure that our application uses the right kinds of navigation controls or menu controls um, so that it fits within their overall brand. So there is this approval process, if you will, for building software. On the website, we can build whatever we want and put it wherever we want. On the Android side, it's, it's also a little more open. That's some of the fun stuff of, of building a tech company is trying to navigate all these things. The three of you get along great right now, and hopefully that will continue forever. And it seems like you all get along really well. How will you continue to communicate with each other and to keep the communication going even during these hard times? Because there's going to be hard times because that's mm -hmm. business for you. So how do you handle that? That we're really open with each other. We communicate very easily. We've kind of set up this environment whenever we talk where anything kind of goes, you know, we don't get our feelings hurt if, you know, I, I might suggest an idea that's crazy and they're like, well, maybe not right now, Abby, like tone it down a notch or whatever. I'm not going to get my feelings hurt about that and I'm going to feel comfortable with them sharing my ideas no matter how crazy they are. And I think that's just kind of something that comes with the experience of working together, working with teams, working with other people, putting your ideas out there. So we have a really fluid, open communication environment. And I think that it's something that's naturally occurring, which is crazy. Yeah. It's something no, that's something that you usually yeah, have I mean, to build with a team, but for us, it just happens. I don't, way. yeah, I mean, I don't fully understand how, how, like Brett and I even have similar taste in, in music. I mean, it's Both just- prior musician it, background. It's really strange. <laughs> what I would say is, the way that I look at it is that I look at it like we all three are bringing our best intentions to this project because we all sort of have the same vision. And so what that means is that if Abby and I don't see eye to eye on something or Brett and I disagree or Brett and Abby disagree, it really helps to understand, okay, this person has best intentions. So how can I understand it from their perspective? And to Abby's point, we do put a, a put a large emphasis on candid feedback, you know, because I have crazy ideas too, and so this is a partnership. And I think candid feedback is is really important. And I think that when someone gives you candid feedback, just realizing that they're coming from their best intentions. Yeah, one one comparison we made early on is not always as a partnership, but it's like getting married to two more people oh, yeah. into your life. And so yeah. you're in it for the long haul. And if you want to see the, the company succeed, it's to your best ability to have those difficult conversations early on. I think that's something we've been great at. And uh, just get that out of the way. Let's lay this framework and let's go from there. Basically, go watch the social network and don't do anything they did. <laughs> yeah. Now, all three of you are married. Yes. Yes. Sometimes spouses may think that maybe things aren't fair for you. Do you all go out with spouses? So we haven't yet. That is one thing we wanted to have a family yeah. day. We talked We've been about it. We've just been busy. Yeah, it was, yeah, business takes you know priority. Yeah. But that is one thing we want to do is have a family day and introduce everybody and really get that family bond behind it. Because um, without the support of your spouse or your family, it's really hard to accomplish much. But 
I'm I'm pretty sure Chris and I, maybe Abby's husband, are tired of hearing our crazy ideas. So it's yeah, kind of a good outlet yeah. to it come gets, to each other. It gets me out of the house, and I get yeah. to focus that energy into something else. Yeah. Right, right. I know all these all these things. It, it there's so much fun to creating, and I know you know putting as much work as you're into it. You probably don't see it like work because you're having fun doing it, mm -hmm. but. You know, at the end of the day, you're tired. So I'm just curious. I guess all spouses are on board with this. Oh, 100%. Yes. Um, my, my husband could not be more excited. And it's good to have that support at home because it's not always, you know, it's not always a given. Or is there going to be a place where people can put pictures on like Google does or no ratings, right? Correct. So, yes. So we have right now, we do have support for business profiles where you're where you can put up a profile picture and a banner image. We even have gallery support, things like that. But that is what the business can do or what you all can do. It's not having people... From the user Correct. side. Yeah, yeah, no, side. yeah. So there is nothing where a random person is going to take pictures of your business and that ends up as your main profile picture. No, that's... Yeah, perhaps, I mean, we've talked about maybe having some kind of forum aspect later where yeah. people can communicate with each other and share photos and messages and opinions about different places but that's kind of down down the road way down yeah. the road <laughs> all three of you are highly educated how did you get to be where you are today because you know it sounds like you had kind of a different upbringing how did you get to where you are today right here where you're at at this moment well for me i can tell you it's because i've lived several other lives before this one so i was kind of grew up as a musician and that's where i thought my career will end up, um, but then in college, I ended up studying psychology as my undergraduate degree. Graduated, didn't do a thing with it. This was 2008, housing market crisis. So even just that basic entry level job was impossible to get at that point. So I had to pivot. And you know, who was hiring was the United States Army. So I went into the Army and yeah. um, I became an intelligence analyst for them. And I did about five years of service, uh, one tour in Afghanistan as a military. Um, a guy and then um, one as a contractor directly as I got out and being that contractor after I left the army is what got me into the heavy the DOD intelligence world well while I was in I kind of started seeing the writing on the wall that which each change of office or different president or budget cuts your job is on the line and I, mm -hmm. I didn't really like that part of it as being someone who likes to control their own destiny that just didn't work for me so I used my GI Bill to go back to school and that's where I got another bachelor's degree um, in software development. And it was interesting because the whole time when I got my psychology degree, I always wanted to do a computer science degree, but I was terrible at math. And the school I went to wanted, I think, two semesters of calculus, linear algebra, and that just wasn't going to happen. Um, but when I went back the second time, I knocked it out in two years for that second bachelor's, and I didn't have to do any additional math, hardly, because I did it as part of an IT program and not a con proper computer science program so that got me into software engineering and it happened that the intelligence job that I had I worked at a CENTCOM in Tampa Florida in the height of kind of the Afghan war um, so a lot of big high-level decisions were made yeah eventually uh, when I told them my school aspirations my boss said well hey we have an opening in our web service department would you like to come be a web developer while I was in school so that was the perfect paid internship as I like to call it before I knew it, I just put my resume out there once I finished school, and I got a call immediately from a few acquisitions from Huntsville, Alabama, and I said, well, what's going on in Alabama? I never, I didn't know that kind of thing happened, and I was just totally naive, never thought about it. 
and then the rest was history. I got here, landed that first real software engineering job. So that's been doing that for a total of about five years, three in Huntsville. And while I was here, I'm going back to graduate school to get my master's in engineering and software engineering from Penn State currently. How did you get to where you are? Oh man, I'll try to make this story kind of short, but it is a long story. So um, I'm 27. I grew up in Tennessee. I was born in Chattanooga. Then when I was really young, probably like five or so, we moved to middle of nowhere, Tennessee, Hillsboro, which is right next to Manchester, which is where Bonnaroo happened. So everybody knows about Bonnaroo these days. It was growing up there was it was really remote. My neighbors were cows and crop fields. <laughs> so I just spent a lot of time outside. Then my mom felt like it was really important to send my brother and I to a private school because most of the county schools around us were, you know, not, not offering the best education. And that was something that was important to her was to send us to a private school. So she sent us to St. Andrew's Swanee on Mon Eagle Mountain in Tennessee. And it's a boarding college preparatory international high school. So a lot of really intelligent, amazing people from all over the world coming and learning about all kinds of stuff. So my high school experience was amazing and really rich <laughs> and a lot of senses with that word, although we were not. <laughs> um, we, you know, my, my parents were kind of paycheck to paycheck people. My mom worked as much as she possibly could to send us to this school. So I think that my brother and I had a lot of drive to really soak in as much as we could from it to get an edge. So after that, both my brother and I actually went to the same college, UTC, back in Chattanooga. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't really know what to study. I didn't necessarily want to study art. I had always been really good at art, but I felt like that wasn't a viable career path. So I actually started with psychology, just because of all the TV I watched, basically all the <laughs> murder mystery shows and stuff right. gave me an interest in psychology. So I started studying that. Then I found anthropology study of people. And I really kind of fell in love with that subject. So I studied international studies, um, worked on campus in the international office, made a bunch of connections there, studied different languages. I speak German, that was my minor. That led me to uh, meeting my husband. And then he went and got his master's in archaeology in Knoxville. So after I finished my bachelor's, went to Knoxville with him started trying to work in the medical anthropology field a little bit. Not a whole lot of opportunity there in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then kind of stumbled my way into the service industry, sort of bartending. So when we moved here for my husband's job in archeology, span started bartending again at a small business called OTBX, just beer bar, and then started meeting all these people. I got poached by Beezer, the company I'm with now, to come and do UX stuff for them. And that grew into director of communications, which is how I met these guys and yeah. And then what is your story? So I did not study psychology, unlike <laughs> my other two co-founders. So I went, I'm, I'm 32, went to Hayden High School in Hayden, Alabama. For me, like my thing has just always been, I wanted to own my own labor. If I'm good at something, I want to benefit from it. And from no, a young age? From a young age. And no one... I remember growing up in school, 
there was one time in like sixth grade where they brought someone in from a local entrepreneur thing and, and we didn't even know what the word meant. And they did some little thing where you have candy and you sell it and you, you know, and you're, they were trying, they were trying to demonstrate the principles of like, hey, you can work for yourself. Because it seems like for me and like everyone that I grew up with, we were always told, just go to college, just get a college degree and that'll be the best thing you can do for your future. And which was obviously not true. And so no one in my family that I know of has ever owned their own business. And so for me, like I've all, like when I was younger, I would buy and sell cars. And because cars are something that I really love and my, my, my dad's into cars and I'm into cars. And so it, it kind of started there and just being able, basically being an, an optimist so that for any situation, whether it's a car, whether it's a business opportunity or, or whatever, looking at something and seeing, well, what is the potential? If you did this, then you could offer that. And so, yeah, I, I actually went to Wallace State. I have two associate's degrees, both in computer science. And then I was gonna get a bachelor's. I was at Athens, but then I got a job at NASA in 2015 as a software engineer. And so I thought, well, if two associate's degrees is good enough for NASA, it's good enough for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, we also had just bought a house that was a foreclosure and we were fixing it up. And so didn't really have a lot of time to, to, to finish school. And just every time that I've, I've thought about getting the bachelor's, I've always thought, well, that's, that's, not, really, that's not really what I wanna do that's not gonna give me the best ROI on my time. So the way that I look at, at Bisley or, or all of these ventures is even if, even if something goes wrong, if they don't quite work out, at the end of the day, it's kind of like an MBA. It's kind of like a real world MBA mm -hmm. in startups learning something because there, there are definitely some, some principles and skill sets that I, I have been self-teaching myself like startup culture, a high growth business, which is different from a, a brick and mortar or a lifestyle mm -hmm. business for the last several years. I've been prepping for this moment for, for quite a while. Yeah, and I'll say like in graduate school, I've noticed that a lot of the projects we do are just emulate this business or just like, here's a fictional business and make these things for this fictional business or whatever. So everything that we're doing is actually real. And that experience is so much more valuable than any of the projects I've learned in school. And, you know, I think that is starting to change now where people went through that period where, you know, you need to go to college. Mm -hmm. I think that is changing a good bit now. But, you know, I know highly successful people that haven't been to college. And I know people that have $100,000 in student loan debt and still are struggling to find what it is that they're gonna do. But all three of you are, I can tell, are highly intelligent. There's something different and unique about you all. Maybe it's video games. Is it the smell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's very interesting though. Y'all are a very interesting group. I mean, I think Bisley is gonna go through the roof. Y'all have the ability to do it. Did you see the investment? I guess you, you might have seen that online. Have you seen that at all? Like what, what, what's really kicked us off over? So we've been sort of just grinding this process out, you know, just talking to businesses and thinking about the product and, and writing code and getting feedback. And so Wednesday, I think it was, it was last week. It was like last Wednesday or last Thursday. I was at home and there is a podcast that I follow 
called This Week in Startups. And This Week in Startups is produced by a man named Jason Calacanis. And Jason Calacanis is a billionaire investor who specializes in investing in startups. So he is a professional asset allocator who makes a lot of small bets in companies that it's an asymmetric bet. Most of them go to zero, but if one or some of them work out, they return the whole of the fund. He invested in Uber. He invested in the Robinhood stock trading app. He invested in Thumbtack, an app called Calm.com, which is a Headspace meditation app, and numerous others. He's personal friends with Elon Musk. And so he had he gives out on his podcast and through all his different programs he does, like a lot of really good tactical knowledge about how to build a tech company, here's what you do, here here's what you don't do, a lot of really good interviews. So they do a program called Founder University, which is a remote 12-week program. It's a twice-a-week Zoom call. And I enrolled in that. It costs $700, but if you do all of the criteria, do all the work, you get it back. So it's free. And it's been just super incredible. So they were live, their podcast, they were live streaming their podcast recording to YouTube, which is really interesting because you can see the producers and kind of get a behind the scenes sneak peek of that next episode. So I was listening to that and you can chat with them on in the YouTube chat and they were winding down the process and they, they started talking about founder university and I just dropped in the chat, hey, I'm, I'm in that. And so the next thing I know, Jason Calacanis starts reading my chat responses live on the air and he goes, oh, Chris, you're in founder university. Do you want to come on the podcast and talk about it right now? And I had a no shit moment. So they, they sent me a link. I turned my webcam on, turned it around and they, they pulled me into the live stream. So here I am talking to Jason Calacanis over a Zoom call real time. And he's wow. asking questions about Founder University and, and how I like it. And he's asking questions about what, what we're building, what we're doing. And, you know, so like, here's the moment, like, this is the moment, right? And I didn't know any of this was, was gonna happen. And he asked a question, you know, well, what are you building? And I told him very concisely, we're building Patreon for small businesses. And I told him about the Taco Tuesday example. And he goes, wow, that's a great idea. And he, and so we, we talked for a long time. I think that they might've cut that part out, but we riffed for a long time about, well, what if you did this or, or you could do that and all the neat things. And at the end he goes, and he was asking, do you have other co-founders? And I said, yes. And he asked if we had, in incorporated yet I said no which is a good thing so that it's a new company a clean cap a clean paperwork clean cap table and he goes well Chris listen I like I like what you're doing you seem to have hustle I really love the idea how about I invest twenty five thousand dollars into your business right now for one percent at a two and a half million dollar valuation you form the company and we'll send you the check does that sound good and I said, absolutely. And so since Wednesday, I had to take off work from my full-time job Thursday and Friday because it has just been non... We've had people message us out of Sweden wanting to invest and put money in because Jason Calacanis is just such a notable investor and that it's just such a vote, a vote of confidence. And there are other things working that we are that are in progress right now that we can't really talk about. It's very exciting. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. And y'all are letting me interview you? <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, Thank that's, you. That's Thank incredible. You. Yeah. And it, it does feel like this is all lining up, just like the three of you, how you met. Then having that, I mean, what's the chances of that, right? Very, very. Yeah, so I've been trying startup ideas for the last couple of years, and I joke with Brett and Abby. I'm like, guys, this is not normal. Like, this does not happen. This isn't normally how this goes. So, It just seems like this is something that has been around. Okay, and I know we're kind of past the time, but what is going to make this business successful? I just want a quick take on what each of you all think. What will make this business successful, Brett? putting in the extra work right now like i mentioned earlier just two full-time jobs almost until it, it pays off and don't give up and uh, we'll see where it goes from there and just kind of being open with each other too and keeping that communication open like we've done an awesome job at it. and then also communicating that we actually want to help the small businesses and communicate that to the community so people feel comfortable to come on board Oh, for me, definitely valuing the user and always considering user input user research and um, kind of catering our business toward our end users, both the businesses we're signing on and those end users who are coming on and signing up for memberships. So valuing that always. I'd say two things, obsession with the customer experience. How do we get measurably and incrementally better over time? And then the second thing is growth. As long as we're growing in terms of onboarding more restaurants, more users, all of our key metrics are up and to the right, so to speak. This will work at scale. And we just have to focus on those two things. And the scale part, that's going to be interesting to watch how this grows and how companies are able to scale. That is such a, an interesting thing, the takeoff of it. Because I know you're in Huntsville now, maybe playing Chattanooga, Birmingham. It's going to be interesting to see how... It explodes and where and how. Mm -hmm. All right. Is there anything else that you would like to add to this interview? Not that I can think of now. Just, uh, just kind of just do what you believe and don't ever let people tell you that you can't live your dreams because it's just not true. What about you? Oh, man. I, I don't know. I just want to say I'm so excited to be a part of this and to work with these guys and actually work towards something that I wholeheartedly, passionately believe in. That's just a wild experience. I had no idea would happen and I guess just putting my head down and working hard and staying open to possibilities is really what made this happen for me so all right and Chris I guess I would just say hustle don't quit the market's real see where you can add value and obsess with your customers and start there and the three of you have been together for how long since June July I think it was July uh, yeah not very long at all. Yeah. And so things are moving at a pretty rapid pace. Very, very really fast, yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Brett, Chris, and Abby, owners of Bisley, some great Alabama entrepreneurs. And thank you all so much. This has been a great interview. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you. If you want to enhance your experiences throughout the great state of Alabama, I urge you to seek out locally owned small businesses. They will certainly increase your happiness. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you for listening.